Welcome to Clets Heads, the podcast about bilingual children. My name is Sharon Onsworth, linguist at Radboud University in Nijmegen, the Netherlands, a mother of two bilingual children. In this episode of Clets Heads, we're talking about bilingualism and academic achievement. To what extent does speaking another language at home affect how well a child does at school? Belgian researcher Oran Agda tells us the answer. And I share another Clets Heads quick and easy, a concrete tip you can put into practice straight away to make the most out of the bilingualism in your family, class or clinic. Keep listening to find out more. Every three years, teenagers around the world are tested on their abilities in maths, science and reading as part of PISA, the Programme for International Student Assessment. Basically, it's a way of comparing how well countries are doing when it comes to educating their children. Because of COVID, the latest PISA data we have are from 2018. And what these data show is that in many countries, there are huge differences between children in how well they score. Differences that are related to, for example, their parents' level of education, often referred to as social economic status, where their parents come from, whether they have an immigrant background, and also the language spoken at home. What causes these differences and when do they emerge? Do we see the same differences for all bilingual children? In this episode of Kletzed, we're talking about the relationship between bilingualism and academic achievement. To what extent does speaking another language at home affect how well a child does at school? Does it matter which language they speak at home? What other factors play a role? And what can we do to reduce the differences we see between children in some countries? We discuss this with Oren Agda, researcher at the Catholic University in Lover in Belgium and the University of Amsterdam here in the Netherlands. I started by asking Orhan how big the gap is between monolingual and bilingual pupils in the PISA data and to what extent the size of this gap is comparable across different countries. Well, first I should say that we don't have a direct measurement of being bilingual. What PISA does have is uh, they ask children whether they speak another language at home. And so if that is an indicator of, of being bilingual or monolingual, I would rather have, speak about native speakers and uh, language minorities who speak maybe another language, though many of them, of course, bilinguals. If we compare their uh, performances on different uh, topics, in, in most countries you will see an achievement gap uh, between the native speakers and between uh, language minorities or bilinguals. Uh, it's important to note that it is not all countries. There are mm-hmm. uh, where there is no difference between those uh, children, and there is a, there are a minority of countries uh, uh, where this is uh, other way around, where uh, minorities even perform better. So uh, the, the the bigger picture is yes, in most of the cases, uh, like for instance in in, in in the low countries, in Belgium, in the Netherlands, in Germany, there is this huge achievement gap between um, language minority children and, and and native speakers. Also, when we control for the, uh, other factors such as migration background, such as socioeconomic status, etc., how big is this gap? Is the question then? Well, it depends on the country, but but on an average, we see up to twenty or thirty. PISA points, which corresponds almost to 40 PISA points, is one year of education. 
Uh -huh. okay. It's about half an or even two thirds of a year uh, achievement gap uh, on average uh, between uh, minorities and, and the, the language majority. Yeah, it's quite large, the gap then in the Netherlands and Belgium and Germany. You also said in there are countries where that's not the case and countries where it's even the other way around. Can you maybe give us a few examples of where, where, there, where there is no gap or where it's actually the other way around? Uh, for instance, for the other way around, if you look at the more Anglo-Saxon countries, you see that that in the UK, for instance, in the in the, uh, in the newest round of the Pearls data, which looks which is like similar to the PISA data but with younger children, you will see that that the the uh, children who speak another language at home perform better than native English speakers in the in the UK. Uh, that's that's for instance one of the examples where there is a increasing achievement gap uh, where, where minorities perform better. Again, uh, this is, af after us, what we control for, for socioeconomic background. Another important thing to note, and we can calculate this with the newer rounds of the PISA data, is that we are now more certain that the achievement gap is not related to exposure to uh, the majority language. That's not the case. How are we sh so sure about that? Because the newer rounds of PISA, they ask the language minority ch children other questions about how much do you speak uh -huh. in your tongue or how, how frequently you speak uh, your uh, another language or do you combine the languages? An interesting thing to see is that in the most countries, when we look at within the language minority group, the ones who are more exposed to the uh, language of instruction, to the national language at all, when they speak this with their mother, when they speak this with their father, they do not perform better than children who speak mostly their native uh, language, mostly their mother tongue, or who combine uh, the, the, the languages. And, it, and, I, and I have the exact numbers with me from the last round, um, from the 77 countries, and across 60 of them, students who mixed both languages at home outperformed the one who mostly speak the native, lang native language. Right. So the achievement gap that we have between language minorities and the native speakers are not related to being uh, not enough exposure to the, to the national language at home. There are probably other reasons. It's not about exposure at home to the uh, national language. Yeah, I think that's very interesting, right? Because for, for many, language background is the explanation, right? It's bilingualism that they think is the the issue and they're not using the national language, the language spoken at school as much. But as you just said, that, that doesn't seem to be the case. The question then, of course, is what does explain these differences? How well-educated parents are explains some of this gap, but only a very small part. The gap is still there once parental education has been accounted for. What appears to be key is how a country's educational system is organised and how diverse a country is in terms of the number of languages spoken. Warren explains. If you take two random people in country, what is the chance that they speak a different language? That's, that's the measurement, actually, of the language uh -huh. diversity. So um, that, that that takes account of the different languages and the size of the groups. Yeah. For a country where, like you know, 
uh, 50% of the country speak English, 50% of Spanish. It's less diverse than a country where 50% speak English and 10% speak Korean, 10% speak uh, Spanish. 10%. So this, this, it's all, yeah. it takes account of this diversity. That's an index that, that, that can be calculated at a country level. That, that matters. So more diversity uh, is, is, is related to, to less inequality. That's, that's good news. But on the other hand, we see things such as tracking have an influence, that, that in countries that have a, a higher tracking, uh, that language minorities perform worse tracking in secondary school level. What do you mean, what do you mean by tracking? For instance, uh, the, the Flanders and, and the Netherlands are uh, very tracked that, that children uh, have to make a choice or are tracked in a stream. Of, ah, okay, stream, uh, yeah. So I grew up calling that being streamed. Yeah. Okay. That's 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 more the 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 the, the UK, UK term, right? This yeah. The, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. in the US, people use tracks, but 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 in the, the more extreme cases, like in 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 Germany, Belgium, and and the Netherlands, yeah, tracks are different schools. In, in in Germany, it starts at the age of ten. In 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 the Netherlands and Belgium, it starts at the age of twelve. When the national language is not your native language, and you are still in the process of learning. But during this process of learning, you might be tracked to a lower track. And that's, that, that can be devastating for your future chances. What's noteworthy is that in countries with a more comprehensive educational system, like, for example, the US and many Scandinavian countries, the academic achievement gap between monolinguals and bilinguals, or native speakers and language minority children, as Orhan calls them, is smaller. Without tracking or streaming, children who are learning the school language as their second language get time to catch up with their peers and they don't run the risk of being placed in a lower stream, not because of their academic abilities, but because of their language skills, which is still developing. Oren also mentioned that factors relating to teachers and how well prepared they feel to teach children from multilingual and multicultural backgrounds also plays a role in the achievement gap. There's a big variation uh, across countries on, on this level as well. Um, for instance, up to 50% of teachers in the US and up to around 40% of teachers in the UK say they are quite well prepared to deal with uh, uh, cultural and linguistic diversity. Mm-hmm. Well, this is only 16% in the Netherlands and in, and in Belgium. Uh, there's one country who does worse, that's France, where only 8% of the teachers are well prepared Um uh, and the inequalities are also very large in, in France. That's 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 one context which is more worse than than, than Belgium and, and, and Netherlands on this case. Yet this 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 influences how they deal with children. How they um, this 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 influences their expectations towards the children. This influences their their how they regard language minority students. How they regard their uh, linguistic backgrounds uh, and and finally give their chances. So both at the uh, highest national level, but also at the school level and teacher level, there are factors of, of, of design factors that influences these achievement gaps between uh, language minority, bilingual children and uh, national uh, majority or, or monolingual children. Yeah, okay, that's clear. So the, the gaps we've been talking about then based on the PISA data, are, you know, 15-year-olds, so almost 
ready to ready to leave school. Can you tell us a bit about the research on early development, so with younger children? Yeah, so we see actually from from very young ages this, these differences uh, that that inequalities that brought from home, the exposure to language at home. But uh, what what my research uh, is more focused on is how what the what the institutions do with these differences as well, mm-hmm. and then how they enlarge these differences and make it uh, better, or compensate or make it worse. Uh, and we see, for instance, in Belgium that up the age of, of uh, toddlers uh, in 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 in, in childcare, mm-hmm. that one of the few determinants of educational quality. Of, of, for instance, uh, language support, uh, one of the few factors that determines this is for number of children. That's that's clear because when yeah. you have more children to care of, there's less time to support. But the second, even an uh, important factor, is are the linguistic background of children. When there's more language minority toddlers, they get less educational support. They get less language support. And this is not, of course, not, uh, I hope, not a, a, a conscious discrimination of toddlers. Um, mm-hmm. But it, 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 it depends on, on the what, we, what I've already talked about. When, what expectations do we have from children? But what do you mean by they get less support? Maybe can you just make it a bit more concrete so that people understand uh, what that means? How many words they hear, for instance, mm-hmm. they're from, 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 from childcare staff? And it, it, that's measured with observations such as... Um, uh, are they talked to when they are changing their diapers? And there is no objective reason why a language minority child should be less talked to than a toddler uh, who is uh, monolingual uh, from, from from the majority. I, I would even say that the opposite should be true uh, in order to compensate for the differences. So what matters then is the quality of children's education. This doesn't necessarily mean that the countries where there is a large achievement gap need to look abroad for examples of best practice. Also, in those countries, there are teachers who are very successful in providing high-quality education to language minority children. Orhan explains. Teachers who have been working with these children for many years uh, and who have this, this, this high standards of high expectations and, and, and who are well-trained and who and who regard the linguistic capacities of children as an asset. So the mother tongue that the children might have, that has been different, are many times regarded as an asset in the schools, as something where you can build education on. Children are, for instance, uh, they are expected to say something about their mother tongue, to read in their mother tongue, to explain that in, 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 in the majority language. So this, 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 this idea of... of translanguaging and, and using the, 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 the different capacities of the children throughout the education, that's a constant there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I just want to talk a, a little bit more about the about schools and um, the idea of segregation, mm-hmm. right? So we know that the social and ethnic makeup of schools can vary from neighborhood uh, to neighborhood. Sometimes at the there really is, uh, we can really talk about segregation. That's certainly the case here in the Netherlands, in Belgium, and I, I think it will be the same in many places around the world. I'm thinking of the the podcast um, Nice White Parents, which talks about this issue in, in uh, New York. And I know when I moved to the Netherlands over 20 years ago, now from the UK, I was really shocked when I heard 
even educators and policymakers, teachers talking about black and white schools, mm -hmm. right, depending on their ethnic composition. And I'm just wondering, what do you feel about the use of those terms and, and, and to what? So that's just, you know, you as a, as a researcher, as somebody from mm -hmm. one of the linguistic ethnic minorities yourself, and, and to what extent do greater and lesser degrees of segre segregation matter when it comes to academic mm -hmm. achievement? It's a complicated topic. Um, it is. And, and I, sh I should just start by saying that I think this personally, what I feel is, is I don't feel anything wrong with only the notions of having a, a, a black schools. I think black is beautiful and that, that's, that's also okay for schools. Um, so talking about segregation, then, then I think we should make a distinction between at least three types of segregation. S segregation that has been first is imposed segregation. That's 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 what we had in in, in South Africa, apartheid regime, where the, where the where there were governments said you go to the schools, where we had this up to up to fifties in the United States, where where there is this. Law imposed segregation on you go to this school, you go to this schools, and there's no interaction. We know that that's that's that is uh, detrimental for equality. We know that that, that is not uh, a practice that that that's that's sustainable. That, that this is uh, something I think we all should uh, denounce. Does that happen uh, still in, in our countries? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure about it. Maybe what, sometimes the tracking practices that we have talked about mm -hmm. uh, resemble these types of, of, of segregation, and and, and 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 so that's imposed, right? That that, that some children go to some schools. There's something imposed, and and and, and when there is imposed segregation, and there is and that comes always with curricular differences and quality differences between. Uh, the schools for minorities and the majorities, this is detrimental. We should move from that. And, and I think the, the way to move from that from in, 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 in many countries, uh, Germany, uh, Netherlands, Belgium, is, is, is to, uh, is to um, soften or getting rid of tracking. Yeah. That being said, that's not the same as um, what I would re uh, refer as um, more uh, in, 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 in Dutch. I would I would say uh, spontane uh, segregatie that would translate as spontaneous uh, type of, of of that where some people tend to choose uh, to to uh, live with their people who resemble them in many mm -hmm. ways and deliberately choose for 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 for, for certain neighborhoods or, or and and go to, to certain schools and and when their schools just just reflect the neighborhood and it and it's a black between brackets neighborhood that then and and you have black schools in terms of of a minority of the, of, a, of a minority background of the children well it's it's for that's fine that's not automatically detrimental for performance. It's not mm -hmm, the case no. that's when an ethnic minority child sits next to another ethnic minority child that their performance gets some magical way in a worse way. That's not the case. 
Uh, so you don't need to sit next to a white kid to have good performance. And to think that, I think, is... I can I can I cannot find another word than racist. So we can have minority schools in the U.S., in the Netherlands, in, 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 in Belgium, where there is very high levels of education, mm-hmm. and, and 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 also when you look at other outcomes such as such as citizenship uh, attitudes, etc. These schools exist, and it's perfectly possible when you have high expectant, high motivated teaching force. Uh, it's 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 it, the, the, the ethnic makeup per se is not detrimental for performance. And a third way of, of that can sometimes regard as segregation is um, uh, deliberate schools that are run by minorities, uh, pu- public schools for most of the times, or uh, most of the times these types of schools are established because there is broader discrimination in the, in the mainstream society. You can, for instance, give the example of Islamic schools in the Netherlands, or if you go to the U.S., let's see the historically black colleges, right? Mm-hmm. These are institutions run by minorities themselves. And this is not neutral or negative. This is positive for educational outcomes. With, the, the, with, with alumni such as uh, Kamala Harris, with alumni such as Oprah, these institutions, just two examples of, of, of graduates from historically black colleges, this is not segregation. This is, this, I would rather call this emancipation. And, and it, it, we see the same pattern, actually, for instance, when it's about Islamic schools in the Netherlands, who do quite well in terms of performance uh, with, with their children. Mm-hmm. So it, this is certainly not the, the imposed segregation that I've talked about in the, as the first form. Uh, so that, therefore, it's a complex topic. You need to make this distinction between uh, the rules of segregation. Is it something imposed as a curricular differences from the government? That's bad. Is it some spontaneous processes of people looking for their similar uh, background? That's neutral. That can go in the wrong direction when there is this 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 low expectations. When there is this discrimination, that that can be negative, but it can also be just okay when when you have good instruction. And at the and at the third, uh, you have this this more uh, voluntary separation of minorities who 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 look way to 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 navigate their way throughout this societal discrimination that works positive uh, in, in the long term. Yeah. Yeah. And yet just going back to, you know, the, the use of those terms, uh, black and white schools here in the Netherlands or in Belgium. I mean, the, the use of a uh, black school is, in, at least maybe, you know, differently, but it's not usually meant in a positive way. Right. No. And that's, that, that's, that's when it becomes, uh, becomes wrong. When, when you see that, that, as 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 uh, black as, as as an indication of low quality. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, but but for me, black is beautiful. For me, is for me too. Just to be clear. But the strange thing is, in the, in the, in, at least in the Dutch language, um, uh, and, in, and, in, and 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 this holds for for uh, the whole continental Europe. There is this racial taboo. We don't talk about race. You, you, yeah, you, that's you, true. You cannot yeah. talk about race. You don't register. Color. You just you just you just register race. You just shut up. You can talk about uh, another euphemism such as migration background, which is which is which is a which is just an euphemism most of the time for race because uh, my American colleague does not 
seems to have a migration background, while I'll do. Uh, I'm here, like, you know, my grandfather immigrated once, but I'm an immigrant, but my recently uh, immigrated American colleague is not an immigrant. Yeah, and yeah, it's I, like my, my kids aren't immigrants, even though I'm an immigrant to the Yeah, so but, but, but I'm, even my grandchild will be an immigrant in that case. So it's just an euphemism for my, for my race, for my racial appearances. But we don't talk about it. Strangely, we do talk about it when it's about seems it's okay to talk about it when it's about schools. So you, you talk about uh, black school. That that's a racial reference, clear racial reference. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and, and and most of the times, the 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 the, the um, what I see uh, from some of my progressive friends uh, who were triggered by the term are not triggered because it's imperative. Uh, but by just using the term, why use a racial term? We we don't don't uh, you just speak about migration background or anything. So they are more uh, triggered by the uh, I would say more honest uh, way of using the racial term than the imperative that has been linked. Uh, that, that's yeah that, yeah. That's problematic. yeah. Let's let's agree on that. That 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 seeing anything black uh, as, as 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 being negative. That's that. That's something that we should be dealing with, not the, the, the use of... of, of um, but there can be another uh, another argument in, 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 in against this term, and that is that most of the children in those schools wouldn't consider themselves black. And and, and that's some that might be a, 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 an interesting thing, that, that, that it does not resemble the identities of these children. Uh, that's, that, that, that's, that's, that's an argument I can live with. We're going to leave our conversation with Orhan now to hear another Klet's Heads quick and easy, a concrete tip that you can put to use straight away to make a success of the bilingualism in your family, class or clinic. Klet's Heads quick and easy. Today's Klet's Heads quick and easy is from the Peach Project. You might remember the Peach Project from last episode when I spoke to Ute Limacher-Riebold. It's a European project that provides advice and support to parents of bilingual children. And what it does is provide a range of resources, such as a digital handbook, videos and materials for activities and games that you can play with your child to support their language development. And that's where the Klet's Heads Quick and Easy for today comes in, because it's play a game with your child. This gives them a great opportunity to practice the heritage language and learn new vocabulary. And it offers you as a parent the chance to share your own cultural heritage. You can do this in many ways. You can find a game that you used to play yourself as a kid or a game that is typical of your culture. With young children, you can do jigsaw puzzles. And whilst you're figuring out what goes where, ask your child what he or she sees. On the Peach website, you can even download pictures that you can cut into pictures yourself to make your own puzzle. Or you could look for a picture yourself on the internet, for example, of a city or landscape or something else from the country where you come from. With older children, you can play the game Word Chain. The first person starts with a word, for example, pig. And the next person has to think of a word that starts with the last letter of the previous word. So pig ends with G, so the next word might be grapefruit. This is also a really nice game to play in the car, by the way. On the Peach Project website, bilingualfamily.eu, you'll find dozens of other ideas. 
The website's currently available in English, German, French, Italian, Spanish and Romanian. And as we heard last time, the idea is that the materials will, if possible, be available in the 24 languages of the European Union. The link is in the show notes. So that was this episode's Klet's Heads Quick and Easy. Play a game with your child. Klet's Heads Quick and Easy. We've talked about children at, at school and, you know, from toddlers through to teenagers. And I want to talk a bit more about what happens after they leave school. What One of the advantages that you mentioned before was an economic advantage to being raised bilingual. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have... Uh, maybe bilingual multilingual capital I, th- I think you've talked about it in those terms and that can increase your chances also maybe on the labor market because you know you know you've got a, a skill knowledge that maybe somebody else doesn't have and I know you've also done research on the relationship between how bilingual children are when they're in high school and how much money they earn later in life and I'm sure there are plenty of parents listening who will be quite mm-hmm. interesting to know what you found for that so maybe we can uh, finish by you telling us about that line of research it's a while ago that i've studied this and i've studied this only in the u.s yeah because i had the data there i was first amazed that this was not research there are many of plenty of studies who calculate what's what's uh learning the national language brings for immigrants and their income and their labor market chances but the competencies that they already do have the, the value for that for the uh, labor market was not examined uh, during that time. So first thing what I did was to, to check what uh, investing in bilingualism would mean for children of immigrants throughout their school career and after mm-hmm. that when it comes to their labor market. And I found a quite important bonus in terms of, of finding a job uh, more quickly and and, first, and and secondly, the income that they derive mm-hmm. from their uh, starting income. So there was already a, a, a good uh, couple of thousands of dollars uh, difference on a yearly basis between what um, same ethnic, same educated level, monolinguals and, and bilinguals earn. So in the U.S. case, it mostly means uh, uh, when you're uh, uh, children of a Mexican immigrant or a Cuban immigrant, uh, most of the oh, time Spanish Hispanic. Or, 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 or a Chinese immigrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you keep investing in, in, in the mother tongue and, and, and children become balanced bilinguals, Compared to English monolinguals, so many children uh, completely assimilate towards even not anymore using their monotone. There is this difference in their incomes between the ones who stay balanced bilingual, who speak English and uh, their mother tongue, and those who only speak English. So it is better to to also invest it in an economic uh, way. Uh, is something that you can give as an advice uh, for teachers, for parents, uh, but. I, I I would not say that this should be their only uh, drive uh, for 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 instance. I have I having a uh, my two years old. I'm uh, of course raising him in, in, in Turkish and 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 and, and uh, Dutch. The reason for that is uh, primary reason is I want I want these kids to be able to talk to his grandfathers and grandmothers. That's that's an and yeah. Then a huge support if you are working with two parents when you have the grandparents. That's that's this this emotional familial support is 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 one person. Secondly, I'm happy that 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 um, you know you, you don't see it, but I can maybe show you. Here are my books. Uh, uh, wait. Uh, so we're now 
Yeah. I Oren's yeah. now showing me his books in his yeah. living, living room. All of his books are in Turkish. So I'm happy that the kid will be able to read uh, Orhan Pamuk and Elif Shafak and and these other uh, important authors in a native language. That the cultural uh, capital that that it's that it brings is is, is 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 for it's enormously and also the social uh, elements that it comes with it. When when my kid uh, goes to any town in Germany, uh, he <laughs> Yeah, uh, he will be able to speak and find the best uh, restaurants and best cafes by having this connection to the local communities that primarily function in the in these languages. I think uh, around 100 million uh, people in the world can understand this language. So this not not passing through this this capital. Would be would would be very strange for me to not uh, give this 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 potential to the children, and of course there is done this 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 there might be this 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 economical uh, benefits that that also documented. That's the I, I take that with me. I I'm not against economic uh, uh, welfare, but but that's not the primary. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm and I'm not even talking about the ongoing uh, cognitive research on the brain and etc. And that, that that's still ongoing. that's a whole can of worms that I think we probably won't won't open. I'm not. I cannot think about a second um, issue regarding to the uh, raising of my children that 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 brings uh, so many uh, pluses. So uh, that's 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 something. Uh, to consider i believe yeah definitely so lots of potential advantages for children who grow up using both of their languages and lots of challenges on as to how we can make sure that within our education systems that we can achieve that it's a lot of food for thought there thank you very much oren for talking to us today thank you for having me that's it for this episode of Clet's heads where we learnt that in many countries, monolingual children do better at school than their bilingual or language minority classmates. This, of course, does not mean that all bilingual children perform more poorly. Perhaps counterintuitively for some, it's the bilingual children who do not use the school language at home who score best. In other words, there's no reason to believe that speaking your heritage language at home with the children will have a negative impact on their academic achievement. Quite the opposite, in fact. And as we've just heard, children might experience potential economic advantages once they've left school and start their career if they've grown up using both languages. Interestingly, the achievement gap that we've been talking about in this episode does not exist in all countries. It's less pronounced in countries which are more diverse and which have a more comprehensive educational system, so one where children are not tracked or streamed at an early age. What is really important is the quality of education which children receive, from early on in childcare and preschool right through to the 15-year-olds in the PISA data we talked about at the start of this episode. Teachers' attitudes and how well they're trained are also key. 
when their expectations are low and in many places this is unfortunately often the case for children who speak a different language at home, at least certain languages, then this has a negative effect on how well children do. When teachers feel better prepared to teach culturally and linguistically diverse classes though, this has a positive effect on how well linguistic minority children perform. Orhan briefly mentioned the use of children's heritage or home languages in the classroom using translanguaging. If you want to know more about translanguaging, listen to episode 9 of the first season of Clet's Heads. We'll be back in two weeks' time with another episode when, in hot off the press, I tell you about a recent piece of research on language mixing in bilingual children. In the meantime, give this episode's quick and easy a try. Play a game with your child in their heritage language and let us know how you get on. If you want to know more about Clets Heads, go to our website at kletsheadspodcast.org. That's where you'll also find more information about this episode. If you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to Clets Heads using your favourite podcast app. If you know someone else who might enjoy the podcast, then I'd really appreciate it if you would share it with them. You can do this via the website or in your podcast app. And if you're on social media, we'd love it if you followed us. Our handle is at Klet's Heads. Thanks for listening and until the next time. Or as we say in Dutch, till the volgende keer.